Hi and welcome to The Crime Pod. I'm Sam. And I'm Caitlin. This episode I'm going to take us down south to England for a wee bit of a change and I'm going to talk about a woman who was nicknamed the Angel of Death. Her name is Beverly Allett. So, Caitlin, have you heard of this one? I have. Have you heard of this one before this research you did? Well, I didn't, I didn't think I did, but correct me, please. <laughs> yeah, so we mentioned her in our Colin Norris episode. Shows how much oh. you listen to me when I'm talking to you. Yeah, I just yeah, put so you on mention. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, you walk away. Yeah, we've mentioned her. We didn't go much into detail, um, but we mentioned her. So, yeah, there we go. We're actually following up on someone we said we'd do a podcast on because we always go like, for once. We're gonna do it, and then we're like, nah. <laughs> yeah, we're like, we don't want to do it anymore. Okay. <laughs> so I'll tell you all about her then. Um, but just a warning: it involves children. So FYI, don't know if you mentioned that in the last podcast, but there's some new information. Anyway, <laughs> right. Beverly Allett was born on the fourth of October, nineteen sixty-eight. And she grew up in the village of Corby Glen, near the town of Grantham in Lincolnshire, England. She had two sisters and a brother. She was the second oldest and her dad, Richard, worked in an off-licence and her mum, Lillian, was a school cleaner. So just your normal genetic family. Now, she didn't have a general kind of serial killer upbringing, you know, to be frank. And it was pretty normal. She had a roof over her head. She got fed. She got looked after. And it was just in a normal English village sort of life. You know, a small village where everyone knows each other and they know each other's business. So, yeah. However, one thing, though, that I'll say that made Beverly stand out was that there was always seemed to be something wrong with her. And I'll put the word wrong in quotation marks. Oh, like a hypochondriac? Yes. Now, as a child, Beverly would use factitious injuries, so hypochondriac, in order to gain attention. Now, she took to wearing bandages and casts over, again, in quotation marks, wounds, but she wouldn't allow them to be examined because either there was nothing there or she had cut herself or anything like that, and she was like, oh, well, no, I'm getting attention here, so why would you want to fix it? Now, that also sounds like, um, sorry just to jump in, but um, Munchausen's syndrome. Just you hold on. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's the end of this, right? <laughs> Play the end credits. <laughs> well, yeah, you're correct. <laughs> now... <laughs> Anyway, well, I'll get to that, Uh, but yeah, right. As a teenager, she was a little overweight, and I guess some folk wouldn't describe her as, like, a bonny-looking girl, you know? Are we doing the podcast that we're talking about you? (laughs) I know. I'm not bonny, but anyway. There was nothing really about her, still talking about Beverly here, that would make people pay attention to her when it came to looks. So she began spending an excessive amount of time 
in hospital with numerous physical complaints and at one point she convinced a surgeon to remove a perfectly healthy appendix. When they realised what she was doing, she would doctor shop, which is kind of, she'll move on from one physician to the next, she'll move on from one doctor to the next one, which is common in people that have this journey. Yes. Now, she attended the local secondary school as she failed her 11 plus, which I was like, what's an 11 plus? So it's a selective entrance examination for secondary school, which is used by both state funded grammar schools and many private schools, just so that they can identify the most academically able children. I'm guessing it might be more of an English thing or maybe a private school thing up here. Yeah, just to pause, I mean, got this bit out. Nick had to do that for Street Melbourne. Oh, really? So, like, private schools do it, so they make you set these, like, entry exams, and it's, like, a massive exam covering, like, all different kind of subjects just to see, like, how intelligent you are. And even though you pay the fees, you have to, like, pass that exam. And he was, like, it was just, like, 50-odd questions, but, like, an English bit of maths, but, like, a science bit. It was quite bizarre. But, yeah, Street Melbourne will do it. Ah, well, that explains it. So, it's private schools up here. Um... But so she failed it, but I know that one of her sisters didn't, so she went to a grammar school. Anyway, she was just in the local secondary. She left with kind of not many qualifications or O levels back then. Um, So when she left at the age of 16, she was befriended by a local nurse who worked at Grantham Hospital. So this nurse gave her the necessary books and information just so that she could attend college to become a nurse. Which mm. she did at about the age of 17, 18 years old. And she did that at Grantham College. And she went on to a pre-nursing course first. Now, during this time, she also worked part-time at the local pub, which okay. is where she met several boyfriends. And this, once when, when she had moved on and started having friends, boyfriends, etc., it didn't stop her from making up stories about herself and still wanting people to feel sorry for her and wanting all this attention. And whilst working at the pub, she met her boyfriend, Steve Biggs, who she later went on to beat up and humiliate quite badly. Mm -hmm. So this is like kind of out of the blue, but she wasn't good to him at all. And they were even engaged to one another. Wow. But obviously that got broken off. Now, this kind of, she's just not mixed up kind of soul, but you know there's something there let's just say now, yeah it's like a week in the damage so mm-hmm. now in september 1988 beverly was accepted into grantham and kesteven hospital in lincolnshire to train as a state enrolled nurse now as soon as she was enrolled bizarre things began to happen in the college dorms feces were put in the fridge under the cooker Speared on the wall, curtains were set on fire, but they were never identified specifically of being the work of Beverly. So no one could prove it was her. And with no culprit going forward and admitting, oh, it was me, it was me. Yeah, exactly. Who would admit putting your own feces under the the cooker? Weird story. Yeah. All of the students were then threatened on the course of being kicked out if the incidents didn't stop. So I believe they stopped. However, throughout the course, Beverly's stories about being injured and unwell, they began to escalate. She was also off with injuries that were relatively minor, 
should take her temperature as well after having boiling water in her mouth. And also one time she injected water into one of her breasts so that one looked bigger than the other. And she'd say that she had the flu and so on and so forth. She would just make up all this wow. information and she wouldn't go. Now, it was really any excuse. Um, so she didn't really do much studying. Now, between 1988 and 1990, she had about 160 plus days sickness. And as a result, she really only passed the course by the skin of her teeth. Wow, yeah. Over the course of a couple of years, 160 sickness days. If that was a job, you'd be well and truly fired. Yeah. <laughs> now, having just scraped by, she then decided she would like to train as a children's nurse. However, she was rejected at the beginning as the ward said that she hadn't had enough experience of dealing with sick children, which was fair enough because she's only been on this course for a couple of years and really she's really been on the course. She's been ill. Now, this was quite a blow for Beverly, but pretty quickly she managed to get a job in Ward 4 at Grantham Hospital in 1991, where she could get the experience due to chronic understaffing at the hospital. Like, there was hardly any nurses there. So she was only appointed this role due to the understaffing. Um, She was enrolled as a nurse, which meant that she had only done two years of training. So she was definitely not a children's nurse, whereas the normal nurses around there, they would have had at least three years of training. So, again, it's not a great start. But they needed her. They needed that extra pair of hands. Mm-hmm. So on February the 18th, 1991, she began her six month contract on Ward 4, which was paediatrics ward. Mm. Now, on the 21st of February 1991, her first victim, seven month old Liam Taylor, was admitted to Ward 4 with a chest infection. Beverly went out of her way to reassure his parents that he was in capable hands and persuaded them to go home to get some rest. When they returned, Beverly advised that Liam had endured a respiratory emergency, but that he had recovered. She volunteered for extra night duty so she could watch over the boy, and his parents chose to spend the night at the hospital as well. So this is someone that's also befriending the parents. Liam had another respiratory crisis just before midnight, but it was felt that he had come through it. Now, Beverly was left alone with the boy and his condition worsened dramatically, becoming deathly pale before red blotches appeared on his face, at which Mm. point Beverly summoned an emergency resuscitation team. At the time, Beverly's nursing colleagues, they were confused by the absence of alarm monitors why did they fail to sound when he stopped yeah. breathing? Now, Liam suffered cardiac arrest and despite the best efforts of all the team that were attending to him, he suffered severe brain damage and remained alive only due to the use of life support machines. Wow. So on medical advice, his parents made the awful decision, it must be so agonising to make, to remove their baby from life support because it was no way of life. Yeah, it's not, is it? No, and his cause of death was recorded as heart failure. Beverly was never questioned about her role in baby Liam's death. So it was all, you know, by the book. Now, only two weeks after the death of Liam, 
Her next victim was Timothy Hardwick, an 11-year-old with cerebral palsy, who was admitted to Ward 4 following an epileptic fit on the 5th of March 1991. Beverly took over his care and again, following a period when she was alone with the boy, she summoned the emergency resuscitation team, who found him without a pulse and turning blue. Despite their best efforts, the team, which included a paediatric specialist, were unable to revive him. An autopsy later failed to provide an obvious cause of death, although Liam's epilepsy was officially blamed. And with him having cerebral palsy, Mm. it was really, you know, anything can happen. And again, there was no kind of questioning as to, oh, was it Beverly? Now, Beverly's third victim, one-year-old Kaylee Desmond, was admitted to Ward 4 on the 3rd of March, 1991, with a chest infection. So she seemed to have been recovering well. And five days later, with Beverly in attendance, baby Kaylee went into cardiac arrest. Now, the resuscitation team were able to revive her and she was transferred to another hospital in Nottingham. So attending physicians discovered during a thorough examination an odd puncture hole under her armpit. They also discovered an air bubble near the puncture mark, which they attributed to an accidental injection. But again, no investigation was initiated. What a weird, like, how? Like, I don't get how this wasn't, not even investigated, but even, like, got to the level of, like, this needs to be raised. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, obviously, I'm not in the profession, but I, I wouldn't know if maybe it happens quite common, you know, if you put in the wrong injection or, like, if you're trying to put in a needle or something and put it in the wrong place or, you know, move it about. But, yeah, Bizarre. again, no idea. And remember as well, this is, we're in the 90s. Not that it's come far, but you know what I mean. It kind of Yeah, happens. yeah, it's, yeah. Now, five-month-old Paul Crampton became her next victim. He was put in Ward 4 on the 20th of March 1991 as a result of a non-serious bronchial infection. Now, just prior to his discharge, Beverly, who was again attending to him by herself, summoned help as Paul appeared to be suffering from insulin shock going into a near coma on three separate occasions. Each time the doctors revived him, but were unable to explain the fluctuation in his insulin levels. When he was... The fact that he even said that it was unserious, like, this should have been like, okay, well, how have we got to this level? Do you know what I mean? Yes, it's unexplained events that are happening here. Exactly. Um, When he was taken by ambulance to another hospital in Nottingham, Beverly rode with him because she was all concerned <laughs> and he was again found to have too much insulin. Now, baby Paul was extremely fortunate and he survived everything that Beverly put him through. The next day, five-year-old Bradley Gibson, a pneumonia sufferer, went into unexpected cardiac, <gasps> cardiac arrest. arrest. Mm-hmm. I, knew it. I just knew it. I know. But he was saved by the resuscitation team. Subsequent blood tests showed that his insulin was high, which made no sense to the attending physicians. 
so a visit from Beverly later that night resulted in another heart attack, and Bradley was transported to Nottingham, where he thankfully recovered. Yes. Now, despite everything, this is so alarming. It's an increase in all these incidents and their unexplained health events just in this one ward over the span of a month or so. All in the presence of Beverly, no suspicions were aroused at this time and she continued just unchecked, causing all this violence mm. and death. And But really, people were feeling sorry for her because she was new. She didn't have tons of experience and things just kept going wrong around her mm -hmm. and young children were dying. So really, it was all working in her favour because she liked people feeling sorry for her. Mm hmm and people were like, it's unexplained. So it was great for her. Yeah, you would, though. Like, it sounds silly, but if you didn't actually know that she was doing this stuff, you would feel so sorry for her. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Like, oh, yeah. gosh, what a first year. Exactly. And she's just, you know, come off of training and, and everyone's so busy as well. Like, oh, it's just crazy. Now, on the 22nd of March, 1991, two-year-old, Yik Hun Chan turned blue and appeared in considerable distress when wow. Beverly raised the alarm. But he responded well to oxygen. Now, another attack resulted in his transferal to the larger hospital in Nottingham, where he thankfully recovered. Now, his symptoms, they were apparently due to a fall and he had a fractured skull, but I am not sure if that was Beverly's doing. I think it was just why he was actually in the hospital. He fell and ended up there. But he survived. Now, she then turned her attention to twins, Katie and Becky Phillips, just two months old, who were kept in for observation yeah. as a result of their premature delivery, which is always kind of the case with twins. Now, about a gastro enteritis sorry about my pronunciation it's okay brought becky into ward four on the first of april when beverly took over her care two days later beverly raised the alarm oh. cl claiming that becky appeared hypoglycemic and cold to the touch but no ailment was found baby becky was sent home with her mother Okay. During the night, Aww. Becky went into convulsions and cried out in apparent pain, but the doctor who was summoned suggested she had colic. Her parents kept her in their bed for observation, but she died during the night. Despite an autopsy, pathologists could find no clear cause of death. Jesus. Mm -hmm. Becky's surviving twin, Katie was admitted to Grantham as a precaution. So her parents were like, if this has just randomly happened to her twin, we need to check out Katie just to make sure everything's okay. Unfortunately, absolutely. But unfortunately, Beverly was again in attendance. No. Now, it wasn't long before she was again summoning a resuscitation team to revive baby Katie who had stopped breathing. Now, efforts to revive Katie, they were successful, but two days later, she suffered a similar attack 
which resulted in the collapse of her lungs. Following another revival effort, Katie was transferred to Nottingham, where it was found that five of her ribs were broken, in addition to having suffered serious brain damage as a result of her oxygen deprivation. Now this, she's been resuscitated a few times here and now she's got brain damage because of, she was deprived of oxygen. But in this whole twist of irony, Katie's mum, Sue Phillips, was so grateful to Beverly for saving her baby's life that she asked her to be Katie's godmother. And Beverly willingly accepted this despite having inflicted partial paralysis, cerebral palsy and sight and hearing damage to Katie. Four more victims followed, but the high incidence of unexplained attacks in otherwise healthy patients, along with Beverly's attendance during these attacks, finally caused suspicions to be raised at the hospital. Finally. Now, on the 22nd of April, 1991, Beverly's violent spree was brought to an end with the death of 15-month-old Claire Peck, an asthmatic who required a breathing tube. Now, whilst in Beverly's care, for only a few minutes, the infant suffered a heart attack, but the resuscitation team revived her successfully. But once more alone with Beverly, baby Claire suffered a second attack from which she could not be revived. Now, although an autopsy indicated that Claire had died from natural causes, Dr Nelson Porter, a consultant at the hospital, initiated Mm. an inquiry. So he is now on it. Thank goodness he is now. The high number of cardiac arrests over the previous two months on Ward 4 alarmed him, as they should. Now, an airborne virus was initially suspected, but nothing was found. And a test that revealed a high level of potassium in baby Claire's blood resulted in the police being summoned 18 days later. Her exhumation, is that's how you pronounce it, resulted in the discovery of traces of ligno, ligno, L-I-G-N-O-C-A-I-N-E. Okay. In, in her system, which was sure. a drug used during cardiac arrest, but never given to a baby. Now, Stuart Clifton, the police superintendent assigned to the investigation, he obviously suspected foul play. Now, he examined the other suspicious cases that had occurred in the previous two months, finding quite high doses of insulin in most of these children. And it was it shouldn't have been, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, further evidence revealed that Beverly had reported the key missing to the insulin refrigerator, which the same key could open all the fridges. Um, so it wasn't just, you know, one fridge that could have been used from it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she said that was missing. They were like, oh, she was the last one with it. She was like, oh, no, I gave it to so-and-so. It must be missing then, you know. Now, all records were checked. Parents of the victims were interviewed. And then a security camera was installed in Ward 4. Now, when record checks revealed missing daily nursing logs, which corresponded to the time period when Paul Crampton 
which was one of the children had been in Ward 4, suspicions were raised again. They were like, well, why are things starting to go missing here? Now, when mm-hmm. 25 separate suspicious episodes with 13 victims were identified, four of whom have died, the mm-hmm. only common factor, well, you could guess it, was the presence of Beverly Allett at sure. every episode. So, we'll go on to the arrest. Because obviously, suspicions are high. Like, everything's pointing at Beverly. Like, if nothing else is on, it has to be her. So by the 26th of July, 1991, police felt that they had sufficient evidence to charge her with murder. But it wasn't until November, 1991, that she was formally charged. Now, during this time, I believe she actually went to stay at a friend's house. Mm. Um... And who was her friend, her friend's brother and her friend's mum. And she ended up putting something in her friend's brother's brother's drink so that when he went to the bar that night, he collapsed. So that, again, that raised more suspicion. She hadn't just Mm. given up at the hospital. She was still going on. Now, Beverly showed calm and restraint under interrogation. She was denying any part of these attacks. She was mm-hmm. insisting she had merely been carrying out her tasks as a nurse and caring for the victims. A search of her home revealed parts of the missing nursing log and further extensive background checks by the police indicated a pattern of behaviour that pointed to a very serious personality disorder. Mm. Now, if you haven't already guessed it or heard it at the start, Beverly exhibited symptoms of both Munchausen syndrome and Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Right. So, Would you like to explain the difference? I can if you would like. Now, I air- obviously know because Gypsy Rose Blanchard, but I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was I thought of her the whole time. Now these are characterized by gaining attention through illness. So Munchausen syndrome is physical or psychological symptoms either self-induced or, you know, you've just said it to yourself to, and other people to gain attention, all to do with your own body. But Munchausen's by proxy involves inflicting injury on others to gain attention still for yourself. Now, it's fairly unusual for an individual to present both conditions. Yeah, because it's normally the Munchausen by proxy is normally parents, isn't it? Yeah, so they would do that all to their kids. And like that film, I think, is it on Netflix, Run with Sarah Paulson? Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. as we'd mentioned, like the Gypsy Rose Blanchard case. Yes. Like that's the most like famous one, really, because her mum had it badly. Mm-hmm. But that's not on a streaming service that you can get for free. <laughs> so if you want to watch it. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's on that, um, oh, it was on something. Like Kaim Invest, oh, no, um, Starplay, I think you can get like a month's free trial, and the act is on that, featuring that. Um, oh my God, I completely forgot her name. Um, yeah, the the act is like a TV show about it. It's really good. So if you can binge it quickly in a month, you can do a free trial of like Stars Play. Oh, fantastic! Thank you. Thanks. Um, so anyway, sorry. Uh, Beverly's behaviour in adolescence appeared to be typical of Munchausen syndrome, and when this behaviour failed to 
get her desired reaction and others you know I guess people just started being like oh it's just Beverly I'm not giving her any attention she began to harm her young patients just in order so that she could satisfy her desire to be noticed now despite visits and assessments by a number of healthcare professionals whilst in prison waiting to be um, on trial Beverly refused to confess to what she had done And after a series of hearings, she was charged with four counts of murder, 11 counts of attempted murder and 11 counts of causing grievous bodily harm. So as she awaited her trial, she rapidly lost weight. She developed anorexia and which was believed to be a further indication of her psychological problems. So she was not well. Now, after numerous delays due to her again, in brackets, illnesses, and as a result, which she had lost five stone in weight, she she uh-huh. went to trial. So her trial was at Nottingham Crown Court on the 15th of February, 1993. So it's quite a delay, where prosecutors demonstrated to the jury how she had been present at each suspicious episode and the lack of episodes when she was taken off the ward. Now, evidence about high readings of insulin and potassium in each of the victims, as well mm-hmm. as drug injection and puncture marks, they were also linked to Beverly. She was further accused of cutting off her victim's oxygen, either by smothering or by tampering with machines. Her unusual behaviour in childhood was brought to light and the paediatrics expert, Professor Roy Meadow explained Munchausen syndrome and Munchausen by proxy. Mm. And he explained everything to the jury. Now, he pointed out how Beverly demonstrates symptoms of both, as well as introducing evidence of her typical post-arrest behaviour and high Mm -hmm. incidence of illness, which she had delayed the start of her trial. It was Professor Meadow's opinion that Beverly would never be cured making her a clear danger to anyone with whom she might come in contact. Now, after a trial that lasted nearly two months, which Beverly only attended 16 days due to continued illness, she was convicted on the 23rd of May 1993 and given 13 life sentences for murder and attempted murder. Now, it was a Harshest sentence ever delivered to a female, but according to wow. Justice Latham or Latham, it was proportionate with the horrific suffering of the victims, their families, and the public shame and disgrace she had brought upon nursing as a profession. Now, indeed, the impact on Grantham Hospital it was so severe that the maternity unit was closed down altogether. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Now. Rather than going to prison, Beverly was incarcerated at Rampton Secure Hospital in Nottingham. In Nottingham. There's no shire at the end of that, sorry. Mm. Which is a high security facility, mainly housing individuals detained under the Mental Health Act. Now, as Mm -hmm. an inmate, she began her attention seeking once again. Uh, She was ingesting ground glass, pouring boiling water on her hand, and she subsequently admitted to three of the murders for which she was charged 
as well as six of the assaults. Now, the appalling nature of her crimes placed her on the Home Office list of criminals who will never be eligible for parole. Now, there's been accusations as well um, that I've been reading, most notably from Chris Taylor, which was the father of baby Liam, which was the first victim um, that Beverly mm-hmm. killed. And he is, people like him are saying that Rampton Secure Hospital is more like a Butlins holiday camp than a prison. Now, the facility, it has about 1,400 staff to deal with around 400 inmates. And it costs taxpayers about £2,000 per week per inmate. And back in 2001, there was reports that, you know, Beverly was going to marry an inmate and or we're paying for this. And there was a lot of uproar and people were upset, like understandably upset about it. Um, I don't believe she did marry this person. And, you know, we don't know what goes on in these places. Um she was also part of, you know, the Mirror newspaper. There was an inquiry back in May 2005 and it was revealed that she had received over £25,000 in state benefits since her incarceration in 1993. Now, in August 2006, Beverly applied for a review of her sentence, which led the probation service to contact victims' families about the process to see if they could get anything, you know, reduced. But I believe nothing's been done about that. It must have failed. And Beverly, she is still detained at Rampton Secure Hospital. And she'll be eligible for release after 2023. However, I don't know if she'll ever be released. Um, But that's the story of Beverly Allett. Um, Do you have any thoughts on feelings? I just feel so, so sorry for the uh, ones that made her their godmother oh god yeah like it's... i just can't believe that like i don't know why she accepted in the first place but like to actually have trusted and thought of somebody so highly to make them like godmother and this to come out must be like um it must be hard for all the parents of course but this must be like so devastating mm-hmm. especially after the she's just killed one of their their daughters and then yeah oh it's awful. Um, it's crazy. I know, obviously, you've got to think about it. It is a mental disorder. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's it's a horrific case and it should never have happened. No. It's not. It's awful. Yeah, definitely. 